You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Um. Okay. Welcome back to Talking Nicks. We uh just had our. Our first of many undefeated weeks of Knicks basketball. Very exciting times in the Knicks world. And I'm here to talk about it with my good friend Tom and my brother Ken. So, hey, guys. Let's talk Knicks. Well, happy Halloween, everybody. Today is the 31st. Uh, The Knicks gave us a little scare yesterday against the New Orleans Pelicans, but... They've been a little spooky during crunch time all season, but we'll get to that. First of all, how's it going, everybody? Tom, how's your Halloween? How was your weekend? What's been going on? Hey, guys. Weekend's been good. Had a Halloween party in Hoboken I went to. That was a fun one. No joke in Hoboken. Hoboken, yep. And I, uh, I spent a couple nights in New York City during the week, had some kind of a work trip going on there. I actually went to a Brooklyn Nets game, if you guys will forgive me for that. It was the Nets versus versus the Heat. Um, My company has season tickets for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, And so I will say I I was pulling hard for Knicks season tickets, but um, it, it ultimately wasn't my call, as you'd imagine. But bottom line is, the uh, the atmosphere in Brooklyn kind of strange. Like there were a lot of "Let's Go Heat" chants going on there. Like whenever Miami would have a good play, like the crowd would kind of go wild. It was it was bizarre for a home game, and I I can only imagine that's that's got to be a weird feeling for those guys on the Nets. But um, made me even happier to be a Knicks fan, especially after the week we had. So good stuff all around. Yeah, and that's especially weird when you're you're think you think your team's good. You would think yeah. the fans would be rooting for for you. Yeah, but. there were there were Brooklyn fans. I don't want to like paint it as some like wildly pro Miami arena, but it was closer to fifty fifty than you'd expect. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's tough when you I don't know you put in that money much money to to move the team to Brooklyn, to bring in James Harden, to bring in Kevin Durant. And then obviously Kyrie has his stuff going on, but like to have that happen and then not really have that much, uh, you know, a full support, fully supportive uh, home crowd, like that stuff. And yeah, I'm not saying this is like some salty Knicks fan. Like I really don't care at all about the Knicks Nets rivalry. That's, or if there even is one, I would probably say no, but uh, like, I was just – it was kind of my first experience seeing that firsthand and it being like, oh, that's kind of striking. Like, the, the fan base here really wasn't outnumbered, but uh, like I said, a little a little too close to call than for comfort. Hmm. Interesting. So, so some, some actual uh, good knowledge for, for the Knicks podcast came out of your, you know, crossing the, crossing the picket line and going to hang out with the Nets people. But uh, that's fun. I um, I guess I'll move on to myself because uh, you know you you had your moment and I guess that's how it works. Uh, quiet weekend over here. I was I was supposed to go to a Halloween party with some law school friends of mine um, uh, at a girl's house who my girlfriend is also friends with. Um, but then my puppy got sick, so I stayed home with a puppy. She went to the party and uh, we just hung out. And I uh, because of that. I got to watch the Knicks game yesterday, which, spoiler alert, there was some good stuff that I'm going to want to talk about. Um, but had, I, had that not happened, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to watch that at all uh, unfold live, which was stressful, but also there was some, some good stuff happening, so because which I'm the, sure we'll get to. Uh, because the aforementioned Halloween party I went to, I actually I haven't gotten a chance to watch the whole Nets game, so I'd appreciate if there were no spoilers on this podcast. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Greg, how was is, how is your Halloween? How was your weekend? 
I'm just good. I went to a, a 30th birthday party yesterday at a, at a time. So, watched the How first half, seen the highlights. It was good. Had a fun time. People turn 30, you celebrate. Did you, uh, years. Was it a costume party? Did you go in costume? I did. So, I, I have a velour jumpsuit that I wear. And people are always like, what are you? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm wearing a velour jumpsuit. I don't wear this. <laughs> I don't wear this every day. It's a costume. It is great on Halloween. That is the yeah. That is the yeah. costume. <laughs> I love it. Pretty good. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. But so it's a, like a baby blue jumpsuit, and so I like to think of it as the skills that kills in dodgeball when they play that team. That's what it looks like. But that yeah. that's like such a niche thing. It's such a in the movie for like yeah. It's, it's so a, it's specific. A, it's a very popular movie, but like their role in the movie is so small. But I, I know that I have seen that that specific jumpsuit, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I was skills that kills by myself, and um, that. Yeah, sounds like a sounds like a good time. Always, always fun partying. Under the Knicks, the Knicks are now five and one, tied for first place in the Eastern Conference. Um, a lot of odd names at the top of the leaderboard in the East: the Chicago Bulls, the Washington Wizards, the Miami Heat. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if the the Hornets are up there as well. Then we think it's a, sustainable for us, but it can't be sustainable for all of them, right? I don't know. The Bulls Man, just beat the Bulls just beat the Jazz. Know. Yeah, Go I ahead. don't know that five and five and one is sustainable, but I think definitely us being a good team is sustainable. But I guess there's four teams in the East right now that are five and one. But like, yeah, like we'll see what happens. I think some of this is going to stick. Yeah, yeah. So are we? Are we the class top class of the East? Are I, I know we uh, we spoke about the 41.5 was the original over-under on the Knicks win total. It's already up to 43.5 last I checked. So they're coming around to us um, rather quickly as, as they need to because we've, we've put the world on notice that we're, we're a legitimate basketball team. They look different. I know um, Kenny's tweeted out that we're, we're averaging 117 points per game. Part of that is, especially now that there's only been six games, part of that's pushed up by the, the double overtime game against the Celtics. So I assume it would be two or three points less, but that's still 114 points per game. That's just me guessing. There's a number right now off the top of my head. Um, and I think last year they averaged 107 for reference. So it's that's the, a 10-point jump. 107 was like bottom, I think it was bottom maybe quarter, probably like, 25 26 that range and 117 currently has a second in scoring in the nba yeah yeah so i'll run us through the week so no you go ahead Tom. well i was just gonna say like i mean if you're looking at just the big picture things that have been the most striking about this team so far i think everyone would probably start with the three-point shooting and i know that's going to be a common theme throughout these these next three games we're going to talk about but you know the knicks are still top five in the league in three-pointers attempted per game, taking 41 threes a game. And they're still, you know, through six games, number one in the league in three-point field goal percentage. So, like, the, you know, granted, this, this team is shooting very hot right now. And so that has definitely led to help lead to some of these wins. So you're talking about sustainability. Will the Knicks shoot over 40% as a team throughout the season? I, I mean, I don't know that that's entirely likely, but I think – the fact that this team can shoot and is one of the premier shooting teams in the league, I think that's sustainable for sure. Just given the personnel, given the, uh, there was just a, there seemed to be a lot of uh, hesitancy that people didn't think that Tibbs was going to allow this team to kind of bombs away from, from deep. He's kind of like this old school coach. He'll want to pound it down low, take all the shots from mid range and from, from close to the rim. Tibbs is giving these guys free reign. He's letting them just launch early shot clock threes off the dribble, just, in any situation. And I don't think there's any reason to think that that's going to change. So um, 
I mean, is this team real from behind the arc? I think that we already have the answer this many games in. And, Tom, I'm going to throw out a stat for you in that last year the New York Knicks ever shot 39.2% from three, which is just a shade under what they're shooting this year, which is, I think, 40-point-something. Um, and then they added Evan Fournier, who has, you know, been a very good shooter. I think statistically, didn't he shoot better from three-point percentage than Reggie Bullock did last year, even though everyone was saying what a downgrade that was? Um, well, and then did. obviously That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and can and you just real I, quick on that, like, and, you're, and obviously Kemba replacing uh, Alfred Payton, but the thing is that the, the difference is that last year, the Knicks were also towards the bottom of the league in, like, three-point attempts. And those three-point attempts almost all came on, like, catch-and-shoot threes, right? You think about Reggie Bullock. And we saw the stat going around uh, earlier this week about how, like, uh, Alfred and Reggie Bullock combined for, like, nine off-the-dribble threes all season or something crazy, and that the current Knicks backcourt has already, you know, doubled that or something in the first six games. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my that, point just saying all that is that, like, the, the types of three-pointers that the Knicks are taking right now, that volume is much higher, and the level of difficulty – is also much higher. The, the thing is, though, that those uh, kinds of threes to just uh, create more gravity and give you more open looks down low, right? They give you more spacing. And so that's why the Knicks are among the best in the league in shots on inside the arc as well. And I'm, I was going – like, I was heading that direction before you cut me off and pointed out all the things that I didn't say, Tom. Uh, but I think um, the the other thing is, because they have so many shooters, it, it – in, Proves the spacing for the shooting. And so, like, I know you're saying that some of the shots are more difficult than they are. There's a lot of kind of questionable, like, pull-up threes that, that you know, Breen and, and Clyde were talking about on the broadcast yesterday. But there's also a lot more just wide-open threes because, you know, if someone send, you know, I think you might have tweeted it or maybe maybe it was someone else, but, um, you know, the hard double on, on uh, Julius Randle, and then he kicks it out to Evan Fournier, who's wide open on, like, those, those – uh, pick and rolls on the top and or the pick and pop. And now that you have Kemba also like Kemba has had so many like just clean looks. And I don't know that he's ever had that. Like he's always been the primary ball handler and the prim- primary creator for the team. And this year, like I think he's averaging less than three assists a game, but like he is getting a lot of very wide open threes and like that, the ability to get those wide open threes for, you know, all the guys on this team, whether it's Evan Fournier, Kemba Walker, like RJ Barrett, uh, Julius Randle, all of these guys, everyone on this team can shoot. And the spacing that having all of these creators and they, all of this drive and dish has you know, allowed for is, I, I think it's going to lead to a better shot selection over time. Yeah. And, and Greg, I know you want, you're going to run us through the games here real quick, but just one last stat to just back up everything we were saying. Not only are the Knicks the best three-point shooting team in the league, I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now. They are the best in the league at field goal percentage at the rim. In the whole league, they're shooting 72.6% at the rim, best in the league. So when you're shooting the best in the whole league, behind the arc and at the rim, like that's just a recipe for success right there. Um, And it's kind of proving the point that it's not just drive and kick, it's drive and continue driving all the way to the rim and finish. And that's what the Knicks are doing well. And we can give a a decent amount of – Credit to Mitchell Robinson, who is currently shooting 88% from the field, albeit on 4.2 attempts, but still 88% from the field from uh, our boy Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. So, Greg, how about you uh, take us through the week? Will do. So, the Knicks, as I mentioned in our lead-in, first of what we hope to be many undefeated weeks. Uh, 3-0 this week, we defeated the Philadelphia 76ers, the undefeated at the time Chicago Bulls and the lowly New Orleans Pelicans. So we started this week against the, the 76ers. Um, they had Embiid playing. Ben Simmons is still doing Ben Simmons somewhere. So the Knicks absolutely exploded in the second quarter of this game, blew it open, outscored the 76ers 39-16 to 16 in the second quarter to go into halftime up 20. And so after that, the lead pretty much just fluctuated between, like, 25 to, to seven. Um, and they never got like closer than that, but you really never felt safe, especially after seeing what the Knicks had done in the, in the, in the Celtics game. And, you know, knowing how they blew the, the six point lead heading into the fourth quarter against the magic. So they got you on a little nervous, but 
they kept it above one possession the whole time. So we ended up winning that one comfortably by Nick standards, but not comfortably by, you know, other standards. Speaking of the most uncomfortable win you're ever going to have, the next win was the, the 4-0 Chicago Bulls in Chicago. This game was just back and forth the entire game. The Knicks started out 16-6. Um, they, were, they were winning, and then the Bulls immediately went on a big run. And then the, Kenny said while we were watching the game, this is just a game of runs. The Knicks would, Knicks would go up 10, the Bulls would cut it to 2. They just kept going back and forth like that the entire time until – you know, it finally felt like the Knicks were breaking away. And the Knicks went up 13. There's like three minutes left in the game. That's when you're just like playing against the shot clock or playing against the clock and you're like, okay, that's we won. We're winning by 13, three minutes left. That's, you know, as almost as instrumental as it gets. But that was not the case. The Knicks decided to, I don't know, just foul everybody on the Bulls mm-hmm. and – just go Julius Randle ISO every single play. And, and at one point, Julius Randle had a, a, an offensive rebound where, you know, if he pulled it out, he could have run down the clock and the Bulls would have had to foul. But instead he just had – he did like one of those rebound alley-oops where he tried to put it back right away. And it was an open layup and he just missed it, which, you know, that cost the Knicks two points and 14 seconds with under 30 seconds left, which was – Pretty devastating in a in a, I think it was a four point game at that point. Um, yeah, Greg, so I have that we, I have that in front of me here, and it it was a a six point game, but uh, Randall did <laughs> grab that rebound with like forty seconds left, and put it right back up, missed the layup like you said, and then Vooch came right down, and within <laughs> within like two seconds of that hit a three, so yeah yeah and, <laughs> yeah it's a and, very and quick. <laughs> Yeah. Very quick five-point swing. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we got the rebound, you think that's the game, and then it is not. It's a one-possession um, game at that point. So then the worst – what was that? That puts us – we eventually it turns into a one-point so, game. And, after Yeah, after that, Vucevic hits the three, and then um, I think it, it ended up with a Kemba Walker kind of like pull-up shot like towards the lane like a little bit to the left that looks like he might have gotten bumped um and then they both called a timeout they had the inbounds and zach levine got switched on to taj gibson and he just drove by taj gibson for the yeah. dunk yeah and then i'll let right. you let you go from there yeah so they just got a, an easy bucket we thought they were shooting a three and instead they just scored a two-pointer immediately instead you know they follow our best player Luis Randall was seven of eight from the line at the at the time, so we're feeling good. He goes to the line, misses both, and then that was, that was rough. That's when every every Knicks fan was like, I think the Bulls are on a twelve zero run when we were just winning by thirteen with three minutes left, and now they have the ball with a chance to win. Because when we're at the free throw line, you're thinking worst case scenario is overtime right now, which is you know. Okay, I guess I'll live with that. But then you miss both, and you're like, the worst case scenario is about to happen. I guess they're they're gonna score, and so they run a play for Demar Derozan, and RJ puts the clamps on him, doesn't fall for the pump fake, and he and he makes him airball, and the Knicks survive, survive, and they they defeat the the Bulls, who are now five and one after defeating the Jazz. Very and stressful the- game. And I think something that, you know, I mentioned to you, Greg, I don't even know if I mentioned it to you, to Tom, but like the switch on that play, I was very impressed by. I think Evan Fournier started out on DeRozan and then, and uh, RJ Barrett was on Zach Levine and uh, Levine screened for DeRozan or I think maybe it was the other way around, but it looks like um, DeMar DeRozan was going to hand it off to Levine, but he just drove instead. And I was 100% convinced for a fraction of a second that, like, both of the guys were going to stick with Levine and he was just going to be wide open. So the switch on that was I was very impressed with because, like, it didn't look like it was going to happen. But clearly they had, you know, good communication and chemistry on that that defensive effort. Yeah, that was uh, – that one was less comfortable of a win than the – than the prior one against the 76ers. 
Then we finished this week yesterday against the, the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pelicans not doing too hot. Zion has been out. They're missing Brandon Ingram in this game. We're hoping to, to get a bit of a laugher. You know, the Knicks, they do their thing where they just go up double digits and they make you feel like maybe we could put these guys away just because they put the magic away that one time so we know that they're capable of it. But they just don't. They don't stick with it somehow. Everything always falls apart after we go up big. Um, eventually, this one goes down to the wire-ish. You know, we get get lead gets to, cut to three or four, and, you know, R.J. Barrett just took over the entire second half, and which is, you know, I think that's – that's what we'll talk about right now. So, Kenny, you were, you're the guy who watched this one. So, give us, give us the breakdown of RJ. Man, RJ, like, I think that was RJ's best game as a pro because he literally did everything. He was playing good defense. He had – I know he had at least one or two, like, pull-up mid-rangers. He was getting to the rim. He was hitting threes. He hit had a nice, like, crossover pull-up three, which is something he didn't do at all last year. He did not, like, maybe – two or three times all season he dribbled into a three and like he did it a couple times yesterday uh he pulled down like a big board towards the end of the game that um i think it was vucevic and or um not vucevic valanchunas and uh and mitchell were like fighting for for positioning and like rj barrett came out of the pile with the ball and i'm just like man this guy's getting after it but like down the stretch, they cut it to, like you said, three or four. So it was a very close game. And on three straight possessions, R.J. Barrett, you know, pulls up, hits a three. The next possession, R.J. Barrett gets the ball. He drives to the hoop. Both guys focus on him, and he he dishes a nice pass to, I believe it was Taj Gibson for a wide-open dunk. Following possession, pulls up and hits another three. And it's just like this guy put the team on his back and this is a problem. This has been a problem area for the Knicks all season is closing out games. Like there's been a lot of kind of ISO ball and hero ball and, and here, you know, his, his willingness to both to attack when it's right, to pull up and shoot when it's right and to pass the ball off when it's right. Like that, you know, the decision-making there was just so impressive and it, you know, it's, it's got me really excited to, to watch him play for the rest of the season. He finished this game with a career-high 35 points and along with eight rebounds and six assists. So, as you mentioned, he was he was the guy yesterday. And uh, that was needed because, like, Julius Randle was – he didn't have it yesterday. Um, Nick's Twitter was, was all over it there. You know, he looked lackluster. The effort wasn't there. And his, his stat line his, – his stat line doesn't look like a typical Julius Randle stat line um, that we saw in, like, the Bulls game or the, the 76ers game where – you know, even when he's not going, he's he's still going for it. In this game, he was only four for nine with ten points, but that's that's and, fine. You know, he only, he only had two turnovers. And one more one more point on RJ Barrett. Just the one, like not that disappointing, but a little disappointing thing that happened was like end of the game. I think they were up six at the time with probably less than a minute, and uh, New Orleans clearly looking to foul and um, Julius Randle passes the ball immediately to RJ Barrett and they're like, okay, RJ, RJ's the hot hand. He's going to finish this out. And that's been a concern of starting a point of his game is he hasn't been shooting the free throws. Well, uh, he went down and he only made one of two and then he made um, two of two, the next possession. But like, had he made that two of two, like after doing everything else and then Julius Randall, like trusting him and getting him the ball when it was clear that uh, New Orleans was about to foul, like that would have been like, the perfect situation, like the perfect ending to that game. As, as it stands, it was just like one point under perfect. <laughs> no, I mean, RJ, you, you mentioned a lot there, but the, the stat that stands out to me is the, you, you mentioned the six assists, Greg. It's just the six assists to one turnover. Like that is super impressive for him. I know sometimes he, he does struggle with the turnovers, um, the, the passes he was throwing, like these were not the kind of assists that, you know, they're given because it's a friendly, you know, scorekeeper, right? This, these are assists that literally RJ is spoon feeding open shots to his teammates. I just watched, I went through and watched all six of them. They're all just really nice passes. And that's a part of his game that we just hope to see continue to develop. And so that, that's super encouraging. Um, I do want to just jump back to, to Randall real quick because I saw he was really struggling in this one. Um, and going back to Chicago, 
like we said, he, he didn't have it going in that game either. He was 3 of 11 from the field in the game against Chicago, finished with just 13 points. Not very good for him, but he did have the 16 boards. And then he had nine assists, which, you know, he, he's flirted with triple doubles before. But watching that game, I, I just watched it today. He was demanding so much attention. Like the Bulls were collapsing on Randall. There were, I think it was four possessions in a row where he created wide open threes for Kemba and Fournier. And I think the Knicks hit like three threes in a row uh, for a 9-0 run. It was just, it was all because of Randall and the attention he was drawing and the fact that he was willing to kick it out and trust his teammates. It seemed like he was more willing to do that in the Chicago game um, and, and just he was less involved, less the focal point of the offense. And maybe because he was the less, less uh, not so much the focal point, he kind of lost some energy. He lost some concentration and, and wasn't as into it. So uh, that's just something to, to watch going forward. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's – go ahead, Greg. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, like we were, were talking about, he was getting constant double teams against the Bulls. So it was uh, – it was clear that they had seen the the Hawks series in the in the playoffs, where you know that's how you stop Julius Randle, stop the Knicks. But now with the Knicks having having so many new weapons, that it doesn't entirely work that way anymore. He was lackluster by his standards, only three for eleven with thirteen points. So you know, if Julius Randle's putting up that stat line, you would assume last year you're definitely beating the Knicks. But this year, you know. You're, you could lose by, by 13 if the Knicks don't blow the game really badly. Um, and even before he before the Knicks collapsed and when the Bulls ended on the 12-0 run, the, the last play he uh, – the last good play he made was, you know, he dished it – he drove in and he dished it off to, to Mitch for an easy dunk. But then down the cr- crunch time, the Knicks, they just go ISO every play. Uh, against the Bulls, they were just going – they had Lonzo guarding Randall, and they just decided to just go to that every single play, which is – like, that's a mismatch you would think that you would like. But Lonzo held his own, you know. He, uh, he, he Randall drew a couple fouls on him, and he had that one dish to, to – Mitch, as I mentioned, but, you know, if you're just running this, this same play over and over again, they're going to catch on eventually. And, and it just did not work out. Uh, down, it worked out for a little bit and then it stopped. And so I think it's time to talk about crunch time, unless you guys have anything else to add. We'll get back to the good stuff again later, but crunch time has clearly been an issue with this Knicks team, as we've seen. To start the year against the Celtics with an absolute nightmare of a, of a final 30 seconds. Uh, the Knicks had that game won, and then they decided that they, they didn't want to win it that easily. Um, the Magic game, that didn't really come down to crunch time, but the fourth quarter was just a, just a terrible, and that's why they lost. They started out winning by six, and they did not win that game at all. And then this Bulls game, crunch time was bad, and – the Pelicans game, uh, crunch time worked out, but they, they let the Pelicans fight back and cut a double-digit lead down to, you know, three or four, as we mentioned. So, what's wrong? Yeah, I don't know. You, you alluded to it a little bit. Like, I can't, I can't put my finger on what exactly they're doing, but, like, it seems like a lot of iso ball, like, once they get the lead. And kind of the, the way they get the lead – uh, at least, you know, to start the last couple of games is like passing it, finding open shooters and those people hitting like open threes. And there's been a little bit of like they're hot in the beginning and then they cool down from three later on. And again, I don't know if that kind of has to do with the, their shot selection and maybe that might be a deep dive for Tom at some point. But uh, they I think it, it's likely that it's more like dribble dribbling into threes and pull up threes rather than, you know, letting other people set you up. So I, I don't know what the reason for it is, but it seems like there's a lot more ISO towards the end of games. And, you know, uh, I think that's kind of how people uh, look at the playoffs. Like the, the best player is going to have the ball in their hands and they're going to do what they want. So like maybe it's good practice for that. But um, for, for our purposes right now, it's the, the ISO ball is not working. And I, I'd prefer it if they stuck to the team game. But five and one, I can't complain too much. Yeah, I guess yeah, I'll, and, I'll be a little – go ahead, Greg. 
Well, quick point I'll say. We keep saying that the Pelicans cut it to three or four. The Knicks were up 111 to 110 with three and a half left. And the Pelicans actually cut it to 111-109 with a little under two left. So it got down to two. And this is the Pelicans who, you know, without their two best players. Bad. Yeah, right, just, go for it. Just to be a little bit of a contrarian here, like I did just watch that, that Bulls game and – a big part of the issue was defense, Greg. Like you mentioned, they were fouling every play. Um, that, was a, that was a huge problem. But offensively, there were just a lot of missed shots. Like the, the, the opening set was kind of like a post-up to Randall. But Randall did kick it out a fair amount. Like I'm just going through the, the play-by-play data in the, in the fourth quarter here. And, like, Fournier misses an open three. Mitch, is, Mitch gets the offensive rebound. R.J. Barrett has a nice take and gets, a, gets to, like, a floater, like an eight-foot kind of lefty floater that he made, that he makes just seemingly automatically this season. It's been a go-to shot for him. And he just missed it wide left. Like, it wasn't particularly close. But I don't know if guys got tight. But, you know, some of these shots were, like, actually – kind of good shots and they just happen to be missing. Like I'm, I'm looking right now at um, RJ Barrett had a, an open look with just under two minutes to go. He gets a kick out off. A, it's a Randall ISO. It's kind of a, a kick to RJ and he has a good look. I mean, it, there was a little bit of a hand in his face, but he just bricked it. Like, I don't know. I, I have a hard, I don't want to like put too much of this on, let alone on Randall, but even like the, the offense, because I think they were generating some good looks um, and they were just kind of missing them, you know? So uh, it's hard. It's hard because you want to put the ball in your best player's hands. That's Randall. You want to be able to trust him to make the right decisions, especially when he has some of these mismatches. Um, and I, I think in this particular instance, the shots just weren't falling. Um, but you do have to look at the the broader kind of, scope of what's going on and, and this is becoming a little bit of a trend so you know there, there must be something else that that can be done and maybe randall generate it, it just it, it is stagnant offense but is still tending to lead to decent looks because of randall's strengths and his playmaking and, and his gravity um but maybe there's there's a better way to to get those same open looks through a little bit more movement like like yep. which happens earlier and- in the game and Tom, I'll you know I'll, I'll kind of jump onto that point um, and just kind of flip the script a little bit because the Knicks have seemingly, at least to me, anyways, and um, I can think of at least two games where they were extremely hot to start the game, um, and then you know they cooled off to, in the fourth quarter. And sometimes that's just the way it goes, you know, like it's regression to the mean. Like eventually, everything is going to kind of go towards that middle of what they're actually capable of. And when they started out, I think it was the second Orlando game, they started out something like 9 of 15 from three, and then they finished like 12 of 45. And like that is kind of how basketball works. Like everything goes towards what you're actually capable of. So, you know, um, you'd prefer it didn't happen in the fourth quarter, but like sometimes the shots don't fall, to your point. Yeah, yesterday the Knicks started out four for four, and I think maybe – they started out very hot from three, and then they they cooled off in the second quarter. So we'll just blame it on regression to the mean, partially. Yeah, we'll, we'll just have to keep an eye on it, right? Like if if this continues yeah. to be a problem, if they if we see this kind of stagnant offense is uh, is leading to this kind of poor production in fourth quarters in crunch time, uh, then yeah, something's gonna have to change. But I think that it has been kind of a small enough sample that I, I don't think that there's anything we need to be like, you know, panicking over at this point. Yeah. I mean, we could just, the Celtics game was just, that wasn't shooting. That was just stupidity, pure stupidity and letting them get back in that one. So that one just write it off. And then, you know, there's this, it's just a coincidence that these, these other games have occurred close by so far we could say that but if it continues then it's really a pattern i mean you could call it a pattern already but we don't have a big enough sample to say six games fam 
Six games. Yeah, I, I just don't think it exactly. Like, we're not to the point yet where you know, I don't even think that's like a rose-colored glasses situation. Where I just think that's reasonable, and um, I don't expect that to continue to be the case. I think that this team, you know, they have the shot makers to be one of the better teams in crunch time. They have so many guys who can create for themselves and others, um, and that's what you need in crunch time. You need to be able to break guys down off the dribble in crunch time because we've seen in the past like people tend to go to their stars. When you go to ISO, it means it typically leads to fewer turnovers and just like less variability in the possessions. Um, you can kind of milk the clock in isolation as well. So there are reasons to go to that set down the stretch of games. I get it. But I also understand you kind of want to use what got you there. And the Knicks this year have been a pretty solid ball movement team. So, um, yeah, just something to watch going forward. I think it's a, you're, you're right to – to point it out and for us to talk about it, though. Yeah. And it's, it's funny when, uh, you know, the first time, the first six games we see this, so we think that's what it's like. But we need more of a, of a larger sample to, to know if that's really the case. It's like when the very first game against the Celtics, Evan Fournier, first game as Nick, just scored his career high. So we are like, oh, my God, this guy's the best player ever. But that was just – that was his career high. That's the best game he's ever had in his life, which is a funny thing to do on your very first game of the day. It's been very good still, though. He has been good. He's been a good shooter. Like, hasn't matched like that uh, – yeah, hasn't matched that output, though. Yeah, I mean, in his defense, he also wouldn't have matched that output if the Knicks didn't blow it because he just went off in, in overtime, double overtime. So yeah. those led to his, his career high. Well, I mean, what else is hot in the streets? The Knicks get a, a, a double-edged sword. I don't know. That's not the right uh, term. In the, in the, a two-headed monster, maybe. I don't know the term. And the point guard situation is good. Anybody have a good term for that? What, what's the word I want? That's a two-headed monster. Yeah, I think that's... <laughs> okay. Yeah, good. I think that was the right term. Uh, I don't know about it. The, the Derek Rose... And uh, Kemba Walker experiment is, is going very well. Uh, keeping minutes down for, for Derrick Rose, especially. Kemba's been, been doing well. He's been playing a lot of minutes. But the one thing that is – this may be a little taken away from the negative is that Emmanuel Quickly's minutes are down, and he is – he's. I mean, that also is as part of him just not playing basketball well. He's He's pressing. He's – Taking some 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 crazy shots to to try to get hot quick. It's like uh, in that the Hawks series when Alfred Payton knew that he wasn't going to play in the second half, so he tried to just do everything in the first five minutes of the game. And you were like, "Dude, stop chill. doing that, <laughs> please, just chill out. We'll be okay." And, but I mean, quickly is he's known as a shooter, but right now he's shooting twenty two percent from three, which is you know. I assume Kemba Walker shooting like 50, over 50% from three will go down and quickly as will, numbers will go up. So, so it's the law of averages that's going to put itself in play. But right now we love the, the Knicks backcourt situation. So, Yeah, can I – I'm just going to jump on that for a second. Um, just You were just talking about the three-point percentage and Kemba Walker is shooting 57.9% from three on 6.3 attempts per game. And Derrick Rose is shooting 54.2% on 4% per game. So that's like, that's 10.3 attempts at, you know, 56%-ish, which is pretty good, I think. And uh, I, I will disagree with you and say that's totally going to sustain for a full season. <laughs> I will say and that like, whenever, De- whenever Derrick Rose shoots a jump shot, I think that it's going into the basket. I agree with that. I agree with that, and I'm always very shocked when it doesn't. And I don't know if, like, that's just how good he was for part of the season last year or if, like, he's still ridiculously – like, and he did it a couple times this season, but la- I think the last two games he, he cooled down a little bit. But, like, man, he's he still got some, some ability. Yeah. He, he just seems like he just decides when he's going to score. It's like that, that Hawks series – which is, you know, it seems to me every, everything I, I had to say relates back to the Hawks here. But it's, it was like, I guess it's the Hawks, it, he was like, 
you guys can lose to the Hawks if you want. I'm not going to lose to the Hawks. <laughs> and he single-handedly was just going forward and scoring and hitting every single shot. And he's yeah. he's good. Uh, uh, the, he had a down game against the Bulls where, you know, he seemed to be – he was getting MVP chance, I'm sure. That was, that was big. It was like Joe Kim Noah night. Um, so, it was a big night for him emotionally, I'm sure, uh, back in Chicago. Uh, he tried to do a little bit too much, but we won, so it didn't matter. Yeah, no, and, he, he did. He was definitely uh, kind of pressing, like you said, about IQ. You saw some of that from Derrick Rose in Chicago. But even so, like his development into this knockdown three-point shooter off the dribble, he's, we're using him to space the floor and corners. Like I, I would have never expected Derrick Rose to be this guy. And he's also just still has his burst. Like, he does get to the rim at will. One of our go-to plays uh, coming out of timeouts when Rose is on the floor is the Spain pick and roll where they bring it – where the, the Knicks bring a guy from the corner to kind of screen the big man's man. So, like, I, I have a bunch of videos of it on my, on my Twitter if you want to check it out. But bottom line is it gets Derrick Rose downhill against a, against a smaller guy. And it's – almost an automatic bucket every time. Like, I don't know why opposing teams don't scout it out. I hope they aren't listening, but hmm. like, it's, it's unbelievable how often Derek Rose is able to just manufacture points out of timeouts um, to start quarters, start halves out of this play. And it's just because he's explosive and he's still so crafty and, and good at finishing around the basket. Like I know when he was younger, he was doing a lot. He was, he was throwing it down. He was dunking. He doesn't need that anymore. Like, his, his layup package is unbelievable. So, um, it's funny because I think, you know, Derrick Rose defensively, he's probably our best kind of two-way point guard option at this point, right? Because Kemba, though he is, he has been unreal on offense. And, and you know, the upgrade from Kemba to Peyton, it can't be overstated. He, he's, he definitely is a liability on defense. Like, Celtics fans warned us about it. He doesn't provide much resistance. Like I, he got switched onto Levine once in transition, and it, it was an instant dunk. It wasn't even like Kemba was basically not even there, and that, that's happened a few times uh, that I've noticed. But that doesn't take away from the fact that like the offensive upgrade far surpasses that defensive downgrade. And then Derrick Rose as a two-way player is underrated because he puts in so much effort. He does so much just like he's a Tibbs player, right? He's closing out on shooters. He's rotating. He's just doing all the small stuff that you probably don't associate with a guy who was an MVP at one time, right? Like you think he's like used to being the marquee guy. He's not, he doesn't want to get his hands dirty. That's, that's not Derek Rose. He does everything. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely loving yeah, the backcourt right now. Yeah. I think Derek Rose just seems like a guy that just loves basketball. Yeah. Yeah. He's a hooper. He's a hooper as yeah. I say. And uh, I think just circling back to one of the first things you said, Greg, and, and that's, that's the minutes between Walker and, and Derek Rose. And Kemba Walker, both of them are averaging under 30 minutes a game, which is great because, you know, both of them have had injury concerns. So Kemba Walker's at 27.7 minutes per game and Derek Rose is at 21.5, which is just a hair over 48 minutes total because of that double overtime game. Um, but like, that's, I think that's something that we really want to see continue, uh, just because like, like Greg said, the two headed monster of the two of them has been just one of the strong points for the Knicks. And, um, it's just such an upgrade from last year that I don't even know how to, you know, just capture my enthusiasm for it. Yeah. I think we've hit, we've hit a lot of talking points. I think we'll. We want to give out some awards. Um, we're all going to make them up on the spot since, you know, I didn't, I didn't, we, we talked about giving awards, so we should all be prepared, but we didn't know it was going to happen right this moment. So everyone can think I'll start, I'll start with the, uh, I'm sorry award. And I got to apologize to, to Mitchell Robinson for on the, the, the initial podcast the preseason podcast, we had an over-under of how many games Mitchell Robinson would start. And I, I, was, I was under 41. Just saying, like, it might, it might make sense based on how good New Orleans was playing when Mitch was out um, to, to have Mitch just come in with Derrick Rose and, and spark that backcourt. I just forgot how good this guy is. He's so good on defense. His hands 
are so good on offense. He dunks everything, like Kenny said. He he's averaging or he's eighty eight shooting eighty eight percent from the field. He set the NBA record during that that COVID shortened season for the Bing Bong. Sorry, we experienced some technical difficulties, so we'll get back at it now. Um, so as I was saying, I'm giving the I'm sorry award to Mitchell Robinson. Kenny mentioned he's shot 88% from the field currently. He set the record at for field goal percentage in that, that corona-shortened season. I just – this guy is so strong now on defense. He, he, he locked down uh, Embiid. Embiid was a, basically a non-factor other than from the free-throw line against the, the Knicks in that one game. Uh, I mean, yesterday, Valanciunas kind of posted some stats. So, I don't know why he locked up Embiid, but not Valanciunas. So, well, I don't know. But anyways, he's really good on defense, and he's just uh, uh, opens up everything on offense because you have to protect the lob at all times because he's so big and he jumps so high. He can catch everything and he dunks everything, which is also just fun to watch. And Nerland's Noel's hands are, are not good in general. But compared to Mitchell Very Robinson's. True. Compared to Mitchell Robinson's, it's it's just not even comparison. Yep, Mitchell Robinson catches everything, and I think uh, I might have mentioned it in the chat, and I think Tom might have tweeted it. There was one rebound he had in one game that is like I have no idea how he caught it because he was like fully extended arm like behind him uh, in some insane angle, like at a crucial juncture of the game, and I'm just like, man, this guy, this guy gets it. He's he's got game. Yeah, and then he, he dished it for an assist after that. It was like one of his best passes he's ever had in his career, I think, if we're talking about the same one. like I, I imagine we are. He grabbed this like freakish offensive rebound in crunch time and then threw an assist. I think it, I'm trying to think if it was to, to Burks. Um, oh, I, I've got it here. It's the game against Philadelphia. Grabbed a one-handed board over Andre Drummond. Oh, and then he kicked it back out to Emmanuel quickly, who ran a little screen and roll for Toppin and threw a, uh, quickly through the really nice pass to Toppin for a yeah. dunk. So, um, I mean, but Mitch Rob, he's one of the – like, so, Greg, my award was going to be the please stay on your feet and stay healthy award, and that was going to go to Mitch because it seems like every game there's yeah. a scare. There's, like, some kind of scare – and I know he, there was one game where it was Mitch's hamstring. And then another one, he got some, like, sideways impact uh, on it, what appeared to be his knee. I think it was high enough on his thigh that it wasn't – there was no, like, structural damage or anything. It was, he was able to come back. Um, and then he rolled his ankle. In that Blew out his shoe. Against Chicago, right? Blew out his shoe. There just seems to be, like, something every game where I have to, like, hold my breath and tense up and be like, is he okay? And we know, like, Mitch is a giant man. He's had some injury history before. So, you know, there is, there's some precedent for that. There's some, some concerns that go along with that. But to Greg's point, this guy is just an utter game changer. Like, everything about his game, he has just – he's gotten so big and so strong at this point that, that other big men like Embiid can't just push him around. And when you combine that strength with the – athleticism and just his aggressiveness he he's not one of these big men who just kind of like waits for the game to come to him he goes and he gets the ball like he goes and catches rebounds at their highest point he's just he has a motor that I think was uh often questioned by by coaches uh previously I think that you know that was one of the reasons why I think Mitch fell in the draft was some people questioned how serious he was about the game and um I think that he's answered those questions. Like this guy is hungry. He plays with so much heart and uh, he's been just a complete force of nature. Like I said, he he's fun to watch and he's kind of the backbone of this defense. Like he's, he's active and he, he defends pick and rolls. Well, you can't throw like lobs over the top of him because he's just so long. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of my, my piece on Mitch. That was going to be my award. Um, no, it- I want to just throw out just – we've talked a lot about Mitch, and I just want to throw out one more thing that we haven't really touched on. And, like, the, the biggest concern for him historically has been him getting into foul trouble. And this year he has 
he has, you know, tempered that down a lot. Like, so he has two games where he had five fouls. He fouled out of one games, but the, the other three games, he had three fouls. So like he has been able to stay on the floor a lot. Um, and, and kind of, uh, one of the reasons for that is just, he's just playing much smarter defense. Like he's not trying to block everything. So as a result, you know, his block shots have gone down a little bit, but it's still playing very good defense, just not fouling while doing it. Yeah. So I think, Kenny, what was your award going to? Uh, I was going to make Tom make the choice for me, but I guess I'll make the choice for Tom because I think there were two guys I was really, really thinking about here. And um, I'll give out the best point guard in New York award to Kemba Walker. And just these last three games in particular, Kemba has just gone off on the offensive end. Um, I had his stats in front of me before I looked up Mitchell's Mitchell Robinson stats, but I believe he scored 19, 21 and 19 in those three games while just like firing away from three. So yeah, it was 19 against Philly, 21 against Chicago and 19, uh, against new Orleans. And like I said, he shot, uh, four for seven from three against new Orleans, five for six from three against Chicago and five for 11 from three against Philly. And, you know, just that spacing and that ability to create has just opened up this offense so much. And, you know, it's, I, I don't, I hate to beat a dead horse, but like, it's just such an improvement from our starting point guard situation last year to our starting point point guard situation this year. Like, I don't know if you guys remember, we started every game last year down 10 and then like the bench would come in and Derek Rose would lead them on a comeback. And like that's how we won our games. This year, we have been starting out very hot and like just the the beginning of the game, and that's a, a lot has to do with Kemba Walker, and that's what carries us through to the wins. And it's just it, – it's a much better situation. Yeah, uh, definitely he is changing the game. And, you know, James Harden's having his own struggles in, the, in Brooklyn, and uh, Kyrie is doing Kyrie somewhere, so – Best point guard in New York. The award goes to Kemba. I mean, Tom already gave a award semi to, to Mitch. I don't know if you want to give another. You can't. I can give another, do another half-hearted one. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. I think we've talked a lot about this guy already. And so, I, I, you know, it's hard to say anything kind of new about him. But just the complete player award going to R.J. Barrett. We've talked about his offense a lot and just kind of the versatility of his offensive game. He's He's doing a lot of his damage in transition now. I think there were concerns earlier in the season, just I, I called it on my Twitter, just concern trolling from fans who were saying that RJ was no longer a focal point of the offense. He was just an afterthought. He's like, you know, people are pulling up usage rates and how his usage has dropped so much from previous years. I mean, look, he's still a major part of this offense, but in the half court, we, there are a lot of other guys who need to eat. So RJ's doing other things. He's getting out in transition a lot more. Um, and he's just been dominating in that role. And he's been pulling up off the dribble on threes, something we didn't see him do much last year. But the part I really want to talk about is his defense. And I know there have been more stats going around about how he's been locking down people. People have been calling, you know, I think Brandon Ingram sat and someone tweeted it was the RJ flu. Um, He's already, but he, he is getting a reputation where it's like he, he gave Jason Tatum problems. He gave Zach Levine problems and, and DeMar DeRozan when he was on him. Like whoever – he's becoming the guy who you could put on the opposing team's best wing and expect good results. And so that's – you know, it's not something that we completely expected last year, but he's gotten a lot stronger, a lot more confident, and he just seems to know the defensive scheme. It's year three – like uh, – like under Tibbs, it's year two, and he's seeming to really uh, embrace those those values and those principles of Tibbs' defenses. So um, I don't know. I've been super impressed with his defense. Like I said, complete player, both sides of the ball. He's on a hot streak right now, and I just I I hope it continues. But even if the shooting you know may drop off or he may go through cold stretches, there it's his approach to the game and and doing it on both sides of the ball that I think is going to stick no matter what because that's who rj barrett is yeah and I, I was between rj and kemba so i was between the best point guard in new york 
award and the best player ever to play basketball award, <laughs> which would have been uh, RJ Barrett's. But for both of them, you know, like you said, there were concerns early in the year and like people were talking and like, that's kind of what we talked about on the top of the pod in terms of like, not that concerned about the, the late game situation yet, just because six games in the grand scheme of things, like isn't that big of a deal. And for the, and uh, for both RJ and for Kemba Walker, the first two to three games, like not that big a deal. Uh, but, you know, just, just him showing everything that he could do against New Orleans. Like that was, that was a masterpiece of a game. And it was, it was a joy to watch. Yeah. I think that, uh, that may cover it in Nick's world. I don't know if anyone has any other thoughts. I think we've we've done a great job. I mean, we didn't talk do, about do, everybody. Do we want to do predictions? Do we still oh, yeah. do that? Of course, of course, we should do a prediction. I mean, but it's it's predictions are a little tougher this year because the Knicks are so good. So we may all agree on on undefeated weeks fairly regularly. I would assume. So Kenny, you have the schedule up. I uh, just pulled the schedule up. I have it here in front of me as well. We've I'll got let a- you go then, Tom, because I'm not actually. I just realized this isn't the Knicks schedule. This is the NBA schedule. Yep. So we've got the uh, a home game on Monday against the Toronto Raptors. Wednesday at the Pacers. Friday at the Bucks, and then Sunday, 6 p.m. game home against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay. So I, I'll 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 lead off. I'll say three and one, just because you know, if if we go three and one, we would that put us at eight and two, which, you know, being nine and one would be crazy. So I'll 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 tamper expectations, temper expectations, and and say nine and one or eight and two. So <laughs> I, I would I would predict the loss to be against the Bucks naturally, even though they haven't been playing their best. The Pacers have they don't have a good record, but they've had some some. Tough losses by by one or two points. I think they lost their first two or three games by by one basket. So they could easily be doing much better. The Cavaliers, uh, they got some players, but you know they're not good. And the <laughs> the the Raptors, um, I mean, they shouldn't be. They 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 obviously always fight because they're the Raptors. They're they're good at defense, but. Siakam against the Knicks hasn't been good historically in, in our minds. He's one of those players who you hear is good, and then you, you watch him play the Knicks, and you're like, I don't think so. But, <laughs> so, no, that's my prediction. I'll, 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 I'll yield to the defending champs, but other than that. Tom, uh, I, made, uh, I made the first prediction last time, and I'm, I'm going to make you force my hand this time because what you say is going to impact me somehow. Yeah, so I think, I mean, right now the Knicks are undefeated on the road. Um, yeah, they're 3-0 and having just walloped the Magic and then pulled out the last two against the Bulls and the Pelicans. Those two road games, um, Wednesday and Friday, against the Pacers and the Bucks, those are tough. Like, those are, those are both teams with a lot of talent. Um, you know, I, I think that you got to win the home games against Raptors Cavaliers though. Granted, I would have said that about the home game against the magic as well, but you know, it is hard to play a team back to back like we did with Orlando. So since that's not the case here, I, I strongly believe that the Knicks will beat the Raptors and the Cavaliers at home. And I could see, I could see losing both on the road and, and being seven and three. And I, so I think I'm going to go with, you know, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad week either. You know, being three and two on the road is a fine, a fine record. But I'm I'm gonna go with two and two, here with losses on the road. Well, that's disappointing, Tom. So um, the Knicks are currently in a three-game winning streak. And uh, last year, I said I wasn't gonna predict any more losses. I think I'm gonna amend that this year. Say if they're on a five-game winning streak or better, no prediction of losses. And I'm going to predict they're going to win the first two games this week against Toronto and Indiana. So that forces my hand into a 4-0 mm-hmm. week. That's good. I, like, I, I set yeah. you up for that, though. I knew you were going to go there. That's why I, I, couldn't yeah. take your, I couldn't take your thunder there. Yeah. yeah, that's good reasoning. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. So the Knicks will be anywhere between 7-3 and three and 9-1 and one by the end of this week. All good records. Uh, so... That's that's been Nick's talk. Went on to everyone's favorite sub podcast. 
What else is on, guys? I'll, I'll, I'll lead the way. I just I watched uh, The Righteous Gemstones on, on HBO Max. It was, you know, it's like Dan, created by Danny McBride. It's got Adam Devine. Adam Devine? Devine? Tom, you know how to pronounce it. Adam Devine. Adam Devine in it. John Goodman. It's just a funny show. I, I enjoyed it. It's, it's a, the second season is going to come out at some point in time in, in soon. So that'll be that. I, it was very quick. There's only nine episodes. So I watched them all pretty quickly and uh, it was good. And now additionally on HBO curb is back and succession is back. So I'm all in on those as well. What else is on for you guys? Greg, are you up to date on succession? I am. I've seen the first two episodes of this, this new season. And episode three comes out tonight. So I, uh, I've only watched the first episode. I, I'm going to plan to watch the second episode after we record this podcast uh, to catch up. But I was all in on that first episode. I, I, I yeah. thought it was great to have those guys back. That crew is just, uh, they're something else. You know, they, they just, they really put you into that world there, right? Where just everything feels so high drama and high stakes, even though it's kind of not, you know, it's just like really rich people, like trying to be more rich. It's, it shouldn't be as compelling and captivating as it is, but everyone's just performs it so well. And they, you know, as I mentioned, they build the world, they use the, all the vernacular, like all the words they use are just like such corporate, BS and just they nail it you know they just nail all the little details of this world and it's just it is impressive television so um yeah I can't wait to to catch up with it tonight and um and watch episode three as well yeah so I guess I got to get into succession because I I have not watched it at all there's just so much so many shows so many shows to keep track of oh Kenny you'll love it I'll add it to succession's good especially if you like Squid Game, you're going to love Succession. <laughs> sounds sounds similar. I was also told I have to watch uh, Silicon Valley, which I know Greg was a big fan of. Silicon Valley, the first like two seasons were, were good, and then it stopped being good. Yeah, well, you can watch good, it. Good to know. I guess I'll go next. I already kind of started talking. Um, nothing that crazy or new. Uh, I think I told you guys a while ago I started watching Fresh Off the Boat for – you know, just for my people. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty good, pretty funny. Like, nothing too crazy. It's a sitcom. And then I'm still cranking away at uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, which is, like, has held up through the seasons. Like, I talked to you guys about how community, for me, like, really trailed off after season three. Like, season four, five, and six, I was not a fan of. Brooklyn Nine-Nine stays consistently good, like, throughout, which is surprising because I feel like they got canceled and then move to a different network. Um, other than that, uh, I watched yesterday. I told you guys my dog was sick, so I was hanging out with him. And I watched, uh, so on Netflix, just out of, you know, pure just hanging out with my dog, I watched Beethoven, which I watched as a child. <laughs> and I feel like I did not fully understand the premise of Beethoven when I was a child. Like, I, I knew kind of what was going on, but, like, it was, like, grim in terms of the experimentation on dogs and like the reason they got the St. Bernard is because they were testing ammo because they wanted to know like how what would happen to the dog's skull if you shot it in the head with a certain bullet and I'm like that's yes this that was my reaction I was like what is going on I watched this this movie as a small (laughs) child and this is the premise of it but like besides that it was okay like it was just a lot a lot more aggressive than I uh, realized when I was a child. That's and so sounds, that's, that's what's that been sounds on interesting. I'm speechless yeah. there. I don't, I <laughs> did not know that that was a, a plot. I don't remember that either. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was saying, I, I've also, I watched Dune, which was, uh, Ooh, came it? out on HBO. It was good, but it was very much only the first half of, of the story. So it was, there's going to be a second movie. So it's like, ah, I wish that the second movie was on demand right now instead of me having to wait, you know, probably two years. Yeah. Well, how do you know? I mean, 
I assume you know it was not the whole story because there was like a cliffhanger or something. But like, do you know the story of Dune? Are you familiar with it? I know it's like a comic book or something. I'm not. I'm not. It's a it's a book. Oh, it's a book. I'm pretty sure. And uh, I'm not familiar with it, but I know that they've greenlighted the second movie for theatrical release. But it was good. It was like a good movie. If you like Star Wars, it was, it was entertaining. It's not entirely like Star Wars, but it's there's stuff. It's a fantasy world. Therefore, it's Star Wars. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't like know. The, <laughs> yeah, people like... Aren't there like sandworms or something? Yeah, and, yeah uh, there are. Spice? I, I heard there's like a lot of spice in it. I, I'm not... Yep. Spice, spice trading. Yeah, that's cool. right. So should I watch it or should I wait until the second one comes out and then watch both of them consecutively? Should we wait two years to watch it? Honestly, probably the second. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm left wanting. Yeah. Like I, you guys know, Zendaya is a she's a famous person. Yeah. Yeah. She's like you know she was she's in the movie, but. She like seems like she's gonna be a main character, so that she's just appears in this guy's Timothy Chalamet's dreams, and so it's like predicting the future, and then she's not like actually in the movie until like the last five minutes. Hmm. That's we're, funny. We're expecting a bigger role <laughs> I, for her. Yeah. Yeah. So I've never watched like the the more recent. Godzilla, but I heard the same thing about Brian Cranston in that movie. Like he was a big part of the trailer, and then I heard he's only in the movie for like two minutes. That's how you get him. That's how you drop him yeah. lit. It's a good that's movie. Smart. And that's what else is on over here. So Tom, I think that that leaves you. What's what's going on over there? I kind of gave my piece on Succession. I think that's really been the the main thing that I've been watching. Like, I mean. Yes, Brooklyn Nine Nine. I'm still, still. How how far away. into Brooklyn Nine Nine are you? I'm on the second to last season, which I think is seven. Well, spoilers for the folks. We are on. We're about to start the episode where they do their uh, Amy's bachelorette party. Okay. Which I think is the same episode as Jake's bachelor party. If I'm not mistaken, they do them both in the same episode. I believe that's accurate. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm at. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's, it's just a funny, consistent show. It's something good to put on at the end of the evening, trying to wind down. Like, I know, it's, I think I say it every week. Like, it's just, it's a good show. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So, yeah. you know, it, it's not going any, anywhere, right? So you can kind of watch other shows and come back to it. And, uh, and it's, still, it's still just as good. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think I told you, like, that was my one of the shows I went to after, like, a serious, like, Squid Games or something. I'm like, I got to... I need to unwind after that and just kind of relax. So that that's what else is on. That's what All else right. is on. This has been a great. This has been a great sub podcast. This has been a great podcast. Um, follow us on Twitter. I assume. I assume probably if you're listening to this, you probably follow us on Twitter. So talk to us on Twitter. We would love to ask us questions. Follow Tom. He's hot in the streets on Twitter, as as the kids say. Um, and that's all I got for you. Tom underscore Piccolo. Go Knicks. Next tape.